You're listening to the Sooner Schooner Show, a part of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. I'm Eric G. from 97.1, the sports animal in Tulsa. Coming up on this week's episode, we will do our best to move forward after Bedlam. I will play counselor. We'll talk about the upcoming game with West Virginia. I will give you a handful of Mountaineers to watch in this game. And Brent Vittables will tell us if the Sooners have, in fact, lost their edge. But before we get to all that, do us a huge favor. Give us a five-star rating and write a written review. That five-star rating obviously helps us elevate our content to more people, gets it out there, and the written review tells us what you want more of so we can give it to you. Take a screenshot of both of those, send it to Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com, and Pete will hook you up with the very coveted Heartland College Sports Uzi. So I'm sure even though you're listening to this at midweek or later, you're still trying to recover from Bedlam. I, I, I know that. I can tell there's a lot of pain amongst OU fans. But, you know, I'm here to play divorce lawyer now, not psychologist so much, maybe a little bit of therapist, maybe, but definitely a divorce lawyer. And here's what I would tell you. If you are considering OU and OSU a divorce, and certainly Oklahoma State fans are considering it a divorce. That's why they played Taylor Swift after winning the game and storming the field. I would tell you, relax. You won. You couldn't help but win. Sure, we were sitting in court. You're looking at Khloe Kardashian. Okay, maybe that's giving Oklahoma State a little bit too much credit. But we're give, we'll, we'll give them that much credit. Look, they want it. We'll, we'll give them the Khloe Kardashian credit. So you're looking at Khloe Kardashian. And even though she's rich, she's going to get the house, and she's going to get the Escalade, and you know what? She might even take the poodle as well. And I would turn to you and I would say, it's all right. <laughs> you're good. First of all, You've got a 64 Aston Martin sitting in the garage. You've got a mansion. She got the house, but you've got a mansion. And second, you're marrying Taylor Swift, the most powerful woman in the world and a billionaire. Okay, so Chloe may be a little bit better looking. Taylor is the better all-around get. You still won. Let's not forget that the series, the series ended 91, 20, and 7. 91, 20, and 7. And even though you have OSU fans claiming, what is it, uh, eternal bedlam champions? (laughs) You can't be eternal bedlam champions when you've only won 20 games and the other team has won 91. It doesn't work that way. And you can put that up in Boone Pickens Stadium, which I couldn't really tell if you saw that picture on Photoshop or not Photoshop, um, if you saw that picture on social media, if it was Photoshopped or if it was real. But I'd say let them have it. Let OSU fans gloat. Let, let them feel like they're superior to you for one time in their life because no matter what they say, it was very obvious over the last two years when it was announced that OU was going to the SEC that they would give anything to be where you are. They would trade places with OU in a heartbeat. Now, they'll never admit it. They won't. But if they're being logical and you give them truth serum, they would much rather be going to the SEC than being stuck in the Big 12. And they would much rather have dominated their state rival. 
and they would love to have a bevy of conference championships and Hey, they'd love to have seven national championships. Most of all, most of their fans would like to have at least one national championship when they were alive. So, yeah, they won the last one. Big freaking deal. And they will always hate Oklahoma way more than Oklahoma hates them. And you know what? That sticks in their craw more than anything. Is the simple fact that they hate you more than you hate them. You don't like losing OSU. It's annoying. No one likes losing to little brother. It's an annoying thing. The bottom line is it just still came out on top. So let's just relax. Let's move on. West Virginia. And let's not forget this. Okay, first and foremost, if you think the, the idea that OU won't get into the Big 12 championship, if you think that is just dead, don't be so fast. If you watched K-State take on Texas, you know that Texas certainly isn't invincible. Hell, OU beat them. K-State almost beat them or almost at least took them to two overtimes on Saturday. Oklahoma State, despite winning their last few games in a row and beating OU, isn't invincible. And their game with UCF this week is certainly going to be tough. So OU needs to get their head on straight, get out, go play West Virginia, and win this game on Saturday which, like every other Big 12 game that they're going to play the rest of the year, is not going to be easy. And one of the reasons this game is not going to be easy is because West Virginia is running the ball really well. OU may have to have its most physically dominating effort or play its most physical football game of the year if they are going to beat West Virginia. Over the last three games, West Virginia's rushed for over 848 yards. Good lord. I mean, these guys love these guys love to run the ball. And, and they've got a couple of running backs that you're going to have to keep your eye on. One, the workhorse of them, the workhorse of the two is uh CJ Donaldson. And uh, this guy gets a ton of carries. He had he had 14 against BYU, rushed for over 100 yards, had 17 Dude had 17 carries versus UCF for 121 yards. And right behind him, I mean, don't forget that, I mean, they've got two running backs because, I mean, one can't completely take the entire load, is this uh, Justin Johnson Jr. kid um, who got, a, I mean, in the last few games, he's got a handful of rushing. The, the, most, the most yards he's had rushing this year is against Oklahoma State where he got 14 carries. So they're going to let Donaldson take, the brunt of it. Okay, those are two two guys from West Virginia that you need to watch. Um, the receiver that they love to target is a kid by the name of Rodney Gallagher, um, who with TCU and Houston had 17 and 11. Let me see. He's had targets this year of 17, 11, 15, and 21 um, throughout the season. They love throwing to this kid. But there's a guy I want you to keep an eye on, and this guy scares the living hell out of me. Um, especially, especially if I'm the secondary coach at OU, especially if I, I, I'm Brent Venables. It's a kid by the name of Devin Carter. Now, he's a transfer out of NC State, and he's 6'3", and right now, this kid, and I don't like throwing stats at you, but he's averaging 18 yards per reception. He torched Houston this year for 116 yards, but what's interesting is, is they don't throw to him all that much. They've got another kid, as we've already mentioned, that they like to throw to a lot more than him, and it's one of their younger players. Again, Rodney Gallagher, who is a who is a freshman.
But Carter's that one guy, okay? When you think you've got everything taken care of, Carter's that freaking guy that'll have that one or those two catches during the game and sit either set West Virginia up in a short yardage situation or burn you when you least expect it. So OU's going to have to play a physically dominating game this this week or at least a physically tough game and be on guard for the possibility of a couple of big play receivers. And as Brent, Vin, as Brent Venable said earlier this week, they also like to make use of the tight end. Uh, what a novel concept, right? Make use of the tight end, unlike what Jeff Levy's doing at OU. Did I ever say... I'm trying not to pick on Jeff Levy from play calling, but it does bother me that Austin Stogner is not more involved in the offense. And speaking of Jeff Levy, look, he has taken a beating over the last couple of weeks for his play calling, decision making, whatever, whatever, however you want to phrase it. OU fans are none too happy with Jeff Levy. And much like Alex Grinch and Mike Stoops, they're willing to make him the scapegoat. I have one rule, okay? And if you've never heard this rule, it's really simple. If you're going to criticize, if you're going to criticize the coordinator, you also need to criticize the head coach. The reason I say that is because the head coach has the ultimate power. He can make the decisions. And the last thing I want to do is see... Brent Venables turned out to be another Lincoln Riley who let Mike Stoops and this week let Alex Grinch pay the price for him running a soft program. That is not leadership. That is cowardice. And maybe people will believe me now that Lincoln Riley runs a soft program, but after he fired Alex Grinch this week, it it certainly said way more about him than it did the fact that Alex Grinch wasn't doing well on defense because you as a head coach obviously aren't doing enough to help your assistants. Brent Venables, on the other hand, I love the way that he answered this question. Okay, on his um, on his coaching show with Dean Blevins, he mentioned the fact that he had a Rolodex of what would be better plays that they could have called in that fourth down when the pass was completed to Drake Stoops and he wasn't beyond the sticks. Mention that. Well, during his press conference on Tuesday, uh, George Stoya, who's a very fine young reporter, and I can call him young because I'm old, I'm 51, everybody's young to me. I would love for someone to call me young. No, I, re- I respect George. George does George really good work. Um, a lot of those guys uh, do really good work. But he asked him about that. And some people were not real happy with the way that Brent Venables answered this, hearkening uh, back to Bill Belichick. But I'm going to tell you why it was a good answer after you listen to this. Uh, yeah, Brent, I was listening to your coach's show last night, and I heard you say that you probably felt like you maybe had a Rolodex of better plays on that fourth. Yeah, I'm going to, we're, we're on to West Virginia now. Do you feel like, though, generally that the offensive play calling can improve the last couple of weeks, or is it more of an execution for the offense moving forward? I'm just, we're on to West Virginia. They've done a pretty good job. You know, I think they've got a great body of work. You know, you look at it offensively, you're still number one in the conference in, in scoring. Uh, that is the name of the game there. And uh, first in the conference in total yards, first in the conference in uh, passing. Uh, they've obviously made a lot of good decisions. And, um, you know, I think we're top ten in the country and on third downs, first in the conference in third downs. So uh, they've done a really, really nice job. They've protected the passer really well, one of the best in college football. Good head coaches don't let their assistants take the fall, which is exactly what Brent Venables would have done had 
he not brought up everything had a, everything OU had accomplished statistically on offense. And again, I know I threw a lot of numbers at you um, earlier this this week or earlier in the in, in the podcast, uh, but I'm not really a stats guy. But I understand why Brent Venables did the way he did because he doesn't want Jeff Levy to take the fall. He wants Jeff Levy to be the guy that gets his head on straight. And it just in just in case Jeff Levy's sword is broken because of all the criticism that he's taking, and Jeff Levy is searching and starting to second guess himself, Brent Venables needs to be there to pick him up. Even if you're having to play psychologist and it's a little bit too much heavy lifting for you as a head coach, you've got to get that guy's mind right because without it, you're not going to win games. And if he doesn't have his mind right, then you got to assign somebody to go out and call plays or make scripts or do whatever you have to do to get this team ready. Now, the worst thing that Brent Venables could, could have done is call out Jeff Levy. So I like that. Again, you want to talk about Brent Venables getting my respect. That got my respect big time. Because on Saturday after the game, I felt like he and Levy were too apologetic. And even though we want them to be apologetic because we're mad and they lost and we want them to tell us everything they've done wrong, remember, this is a PR thing. And Brent Venables isn't just talking to us. He's talking to people who do decide whether or not he stays or goes as Oklahoma's coaches. And those dudes keep receipts. Check writers keep receipts. And the thing they can always use against you if they want to get rid of you is, well, you said here that you didn't call that well or you you lost your cool when you stepped out on the 30-yard line for that pass interference that wasn't called. So, you know, if you can't keep your cool, why should we expect the players to keep their cool? I mean, so I was too apologetic there. I thought he played that perfectly as a head coach. And, and sometimes what I like to do is I like to take off my, my talk show host hat and put on my PR hat. Putting on my PR hat, I, I thought he he handled that um, perfectly. And another thing that's come up, which, by the way, before before we get to the other thing that's come up, and I know I'm a little bit all over the place here in this podcast, but that, to me, is the charm of the podcast. Or at least I'm going to try and sell it to you that way with a lot of with a lot with a lot of confidence. Um, on defense, I'm giving you one guy to watch on defense, and it's it's uh it's Beanie Bishop. Um, who's not only number one nationally in passes defended, uh, but this guy also plays on special teams as well. So I don't know. Maybe he knocks down a couple of passes. Uh, maybe, you, well, actually, you don't want him to knock down any passes, but look for him to be a guy that sticks to the receivers and covers them and also look for a guy who could make a difference in special teams this week for West Virginia. So you got a lot of players to watch this week for the Mountaineers. Um, but back to Oklahoma play calling late. Look, they've been in a lot of tight games this year. And the difference was in the first seven weeks, we saw them win those games. We saw them win that game versus SMU. We saw them win the game versus UCF in Texas. We got used to it. And over the last two weeks, they have fallen back to where they were a year ago. So how do you correct it? And it, it, for some reason, it went right back to play calling, probably because that's the hot topic. Is Brent Venables happy with the play calling that he's getting late? Uh, again, I, I don't see uh, players getting tense and those kind of things. I I don't see that. Um, uh, and again, 
after the fact, it's always you can look at every you you you, you analyze every single play in every game. Uh, some were good, some weren't. In some games, like I say, a, a Texas game, you uh, where you were far from perfect. Uh, you know, you didn't turn the ball over, so you you win the game. Uh, even though you got plenty of plays that you weren't very good uh, at all, and you have bust and bad calls and things of that nature, but you're efficient in a lot of areas, and there's a timeliness to some of the things. You know, you're able to execute a, a two-minute, you're able to force a, a field goal uh, and not score, so uh, give yourself an opportunity to go down and win. You catch it when you're wide open. Uh, it makes all the calls look really good, so I'm not going to sit here and debate calls and all that kind of stuff. And uh, You know, we, we take care of that when we meet, and uh, but you're always uh, analyzing yourself, always. And a coach is always, even if it worked, you're like, man, this would have been better. So, uh, you know, there's not going to be a game that you ever coach in that you're not going to be able to uh, go back and say, uh, wish we would have done that different or this different and whatnot. So uh, it's easy to, uh, you know, to sit on the outside looking in and, and, uh, and analyze all that. If Brent Venables isn't happy with the play calling, he's never going to tell us. Okay, we've already established, nor should he tell tell us if he's not happy with the play calling until he decides to make a decision about Jeff Lebby. And look, I've heard all the things about Jackson Arnold being attached to Jeff Lebby, and I'm not advocating for the firing of him. I'm different than a lot of people in the fact I don't advocate to fire people. One, because I worked with a guy um, whom I'll never speak to again because this guy was just sort of evil about all this. I know a guy that rooted for people to get fired and it didn't matter. It didn't matter if, if you worked with him, it didn't matter if you were a coach, he loved it when people got fired. It was really sick and twisted. And I'll admit that that's colored me, colored my, you know, thinking is I don't root for people to get fired. I want to see people get better. I love to watch people who get ripped on overcome and end up ultimately having the last laugh. So in a way, I'm rooting for Jeff Levy in this situation. I mean, look, my biggest problem with Jeff Levy is still today, one, his involvement with everything going on in Baylor, and two, bringing our brows onto the campus, both the things that I I do think you could be fired for, play calling, whatever, and I think we're past the our brows thing to, the, to this point. At least it kind of feels like that, unless somebody just wants to bring it up in a way to stick it to the guy, which, uh, you know... Would would be a little unfair. And at that point, it's just completely piling on and kicking a guy when he's down. But for Jeff Levy, the, the only thing I worried about is whether or not he's lost his confidence. Okay. Is he is he spending way too much time going over film, going over game plans, second guessing himself, thinking that what he's doing isn't working? Because if he is, then you're in trouble. But as long as the guy has confidence and believes in what he's doing, he'll be fine. I'm not a big RPO fan. I don't wish he would call as many RPOs as he does, but that's where his comfort zone is. And Brent Venables, you hired him. If you've got a problem, figure out a way to change it. Now, as far as him losing his edge, that's definitely worth the question. But what about this team? Has this team lost their edge? That's a major question. Because you've lost two in a row. You lost the last Bedlam game. You lost your opportunity to go to the college football playoff. Can you get right enough to win the next three games 
Get yourself into a 10-win season. Get yourself to a 10-win season and possibly in position to play for the Big 12 championship, depending on if things go haywire. Can they do that? Have they lost their edge? Brent Venable says no. As, again, I, I, I'm not naive. So I've been on teams where guys did get bored, you know, where we lost our edge, we lost our focus. Uh, and that way the team did, you know, not this guy here and this guy here. I mean, you got 120 you know, plus guys that are 18 to 24 year olds, you're going to have plenty of guys that kind of lose their way. Uh, you just don't, it can't be that many. And, uh, you know, this team has remained focused. And, uh, you know, at times uh, in plenty of games, we there's there's mistakes made. That doesn't, I think it's, I think it's lazy to say, oh, they're just, they're not focused. They, you know, to throw everybody in there, you know, you uh, you know, you're supposed to keep your eyes on number two. Next thing you know, they, they got crisscross going and you lose count of who number two was. That happens sometimes. I'm talking about a defense relate to number two. And uh, I lost two. I, I looked at one and, you know, and, and next thing you know, you're out of a gap or you're, you lose a guy in coverage. That happens all the time. And sometimes it, uh, you're exposed and sometimes you're not. Same thing if you, you know, uh, you know, snap hits you in the hands and you drop it. Like, that doesn't mean that... Uh, you know, the team's lost their way. It means, you know, one guy just mishandled the ball, you know, and that's football. That's football. Uh, it happens all the time. And uh, so um, that being said, um, I, I see a, a, a team that's, man, they've uh, determined and passionate and they care and they work and they respond and they're uh, tough and uh, we're not perfect. This is when we're going to find out just how good a head coach Brent Venables is. Because this, it, it, so much of it is about managing crises. And this is a, the, the second crisis you've had on your hands since being at OU. First one was last year when you lost three straight and the bottom fell out when Dylan Gabriel got hurt. Now you've lost two straight. And you're trying to avoid that same trend happening in the second year. And what we don't know is how much confidence his assistants have in him how much confidence his players have in him, how much confidence he has in his players and assistants. We don't know any of that. All we can do is watch and see what they do on Saturday and judge based off that. Unless we're in those hallways watching them on a day-to-day basis, we have no way of knowing. But I'll tell you this much. I don't worry one bit about his assistants respecting him or his players respecting him because he's proven at least this week he has got their back. Even if he shows that he's a little bit too vulnerable sometimes, he has their back. And for that, that's a guy that people will run through a brick wall for. Um, and I have to think, and I wanted to mention this, and I know I'm kind of throwing it in at the end, I have to think to hold Jaleel Farouk arrest served as somewhat of a distraction. I don't think a distraction enough that that's the reason that they lost the game. But anytime you get a distraction, because you could be sitting down, you could be preparing, you could be working on something, and then all of a sudden an unexpected event happens, you've got to go deal with it. And you've got to think to yourself as a head coach, my gosh, don't you realize what, you know, what's at stake, what's going on on Saturday. When a kid doesn't do that, yeah, that, that becomes a, a distraction. You start wondering if whether or not your message is getting through. You know, whatever you want to say about Brent Venables, Brent Venables is the type of guy where if you had him as a boss, you would do anything he says. You'd want to make him happy. After, after that, this week, after what I've seen, then yeah, 
that that's a big positive w- with this guy. I can't help but root for him. Sorry. I mean, and 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 I know some of it, and and you can't take this out of it. Some of it has to do with the situation with his wife. Um, but if he's gonna, if if I know that he's got his assistants back, that's a guy that I want to root for because I hate the trend that we've come to in college football where ultimately the head coach is responsible for everything in the program, but we're letting way too many coordinators take the fall. Your job as the head coach is to make sure that they succeed, and if you're not, you're just as much as fault. And I think Brent Venables understands that better than a lot of guys out there, and he sure as hell understands it better than Lincoln Riley. So, yeah, rooting for OU this week, I got no shame in that game. Totally rooting for OU against West Virginia. Of course, I root for OU every week. And, yeah, I'm picking them to win. I don't know if I'm picking them to cover the 14, but I'm picking them to win. And, yeah, so what? OU lost Bedlam. They're still going to the SEC. Screw the Big 12. I feel better. Do you feel better? All right. Glad I could help. That wraps up this week's show. May God bless you and your family. As the great Jackie Moon always says, everybody love everybody. And to quote Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Don Cornelius, because we need it now more than ever, love, peace, and soul.